Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast with Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Pastor Bob conducts personal interviews with Christian influencers from around the globe, helping Christian authors, recording artists, CEOs, entrepreneurs, nonprofit leaders, and yes, pastors and ministry leaders to get the word out about what they are doing to impact the world with the gospel. Our podcast has been rated in the top one half percent of all podcasts in the world by listennotes.com, so you know your message will be heard. Now, here is your host with today's interview, Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Hello, everyone, everywhere. Pastor Robert Thibodeau here. Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads podcast today. We're so blessed you're joining us. Scott Wright is back with us today. He's been teaching us about different ages of the church and significant things the Bible and history has to say about them. Amen. He also has been helping us to understand the modern church age with all the societal problems that we are facing today. And he's been comparing things to what the Bible says is about to happen to what we see happening, right? And this is something, folks, that everybody, every believer should be interested in. Scott's also a podcaster, has a truly great podcast called The God-Centered Concept as well. And you really need to listen and subscribe to the podcast. Now, he's also published a journal called God-Centered Concept Journal, Making God's Word My Ways. And we've had numerous sessions with Scott over the last few months, too numerous to, for me to go back and just discuss the content of all of them right here. So if you missed any of our prior episodes and prior interviews, I'd highly recommend you go back and listen and catch up. Amen. That'd be well worth the effort and time because, well, basically time's running short. Amen. Help me welcome back to the program, our good friend, Scott Rice. Scott, it's so good to have you back on today, my buddy. Hey, gl- gra- glad to be on. And I've actually been under the weather. And um, finally, today's first day, I've felt good in a while. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to start with a basic question today. And I have a feeling, uh, after some of our prior discussions, that this is not going to be the standard answer, you know, we'd receive from some of the, well, let's just say traditional churches out there. Sure. But folks, you know, Pastor Bob, I'm going to ask it anyway. Amen. Scott, last time we discussed the seven-step process and we left off with how that process relates to the third temple as listed in the Bible for the end times. We know the first temple and the second temple were built by the Jews, etc. We also understand from scripture there's going to be a third temple built in Jerusalem, but who's going to build the third temple? You know, that's, I guess that's the question. Well, that's, First of all, that's probably the golden question. And, <laughs> you know, I've I've given some thought to that. And, and it's interesting that I've actually been reading the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. Now, first of all, if you look at the Old Testament, not from the perspective of how the church has broken it down, but the perspective of how the Hebrews broke it down the old ancient hebrew scholars when they put this collection together nehemiah and ezra were are one book in the hebrew bible yeah yeah there are not two books a lot of people don't know that well that is all about the people of israel returning from exile over a period of time but also rebuilding the second temple they rebuilt the temple And the three tribes that basically came back at first to start rebuilding the temple were the tribes of Benjamin, Judah, 
and then of course the priests, the Levites. So those three, that remnant is what came back. And and they also they, they were able to take the relics from the old temple, the one that had been destroyed that Nebuchadnezzar basically turned into idols. They were able to take those back because Cyrus the king gives them back to them and they take those back with them to start rebuilding their own temple. And, and that ends up being the rebuilding of the second temple. So I think we have to look at history to understand what we're looking at in the future. I believe that there are going to be a few events that will occur at some point in the next 20 years that are going to lead to that rebuilding of that temple. And I believe that people of the remnants of Israel will be, will be the ones that do this. And I, Israel is already prepared to rebuild that temple. Yeah. Yeah. They, are. they have stuff in place. I've read numerous articles on this and I know you have too, cause you and I have discussed this already, but understand that where the temple sat, that is sitting on not solid ground. That ground there is extremely, extremely caked with rubble underneath. It's it's just like rubble on top of rubble on top of rubble. There has been so much stuff that has happened in that site that it wouldn't take a lot to bring down the Dome of the Rock and everything else that sits in there and for them to have that land and then to rebuild that temple. I can promise you, if if that stuff was to fall, they would have that temple rebuilt quick, especially with today's technology. Yep. That would be done. So I do believe at some point something's going to happen. That also is an earthquake zone. You know, a decent-sized earthquake would bring all of that down pretty quick. Yeah. And to and, think, and, I mean, there was an earthquake that brought down the veil of the temple. Yeah. When Jesus right. died. Right. So we know that it's in an earthquake zone, which most areas have some type of a fault line anyway, but that's a fairly active area. I do not believe that. Uh, I believe that that could be the way that that temple comes down and Amen. it'll be done in some ways, probably by God, whatever, however it happens. And then I believe that the remnants of Israel that are there now, that they will be the ones that rebuild it. They are already prepared to do so. So, Amen. Amen. Well, what exactly is this temple, and how does this relate to the end times? Well, first of all, I think what we have to understand is that the temple really is not just about the end times, but how the temple is the center of life. And you go, well, how's that? Because when Moses was on the mountain receiving the law from God, Moses gave him a process of what this temple was to be and how it was supposed to interact with keeping the people connected to God. But what God was also doing was laying the groundwork for Jesus to come yeah. mm -hmm. because Jesus becomes not only the temple, but he becomes every part of the temple. And he is what draws us in. And it's through that process that he does it. We don't, you know, we, we don't always see it this way because we've kind of lost touch with our Jewish roots. 
but studying and understanding what this the, the process of the temple really is the key here. So I say we just dive into that because I think that explanation is going to help everybody. So, yeah, go ahead. Because well, that's why that was my very next question: is are we talking about just a physical building or something else? Exactly. So yeah. the the building itself, you can go online and find all kinds of diagrams and everything, and you you'll see that there's an outer area in the where each of the tribes would be stationed, and and you would see right in front of the temple would be this altar, and this altar called the brazen altar. They would that's where all the sacrifices would be done. Well, if you think about it, what's the sacrifice for us? It's Jesus. Yeah. Jesus sacrifices himself for our sin. If you go back to the process that he talks that we talked about in Revelation 3, 18 through 21, the first step of the process is truth. Well, what's what's the main truth? That we are under the wrath of God without Christ. Our sin is that hideous. Our sin requires a sacrifice. That's the truth. You know, Jonathan Edwards, right before the Great Awakening, had a sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. He was talking about the wrath of God, and that's exactly what he's talking about. We need Jesus as that sacrifice, and he becomes that first part of the process of the temple in that he is the sacrifice that we have to have to have that blood offering. And if you also look at it from the perspective of, you know, the, the outer court, you know, the, the outside the gate, that's where the others are, right? The, you know, the Gentiles. And then exactly. when you come in and you have the inner court, you say, well, that's where the believers are. Mm-hmm. And when you have the brazen altar, that's where the, as you said, the sacrifice is provided, but the believers and we could also say under the influence of the Gentiles because they couldn't enter that area, but they gave the sacrifice to the priests. Yep. Execute. And that's what happened with Jesus. Exactly. And, uh, you know, the, the believers, the Jews, uh, basically said, crucify him. You know, in other words, let him be the sacrifice. And so the priests did that. And uh, so that, you know, you can walk through the crucifixion and the resurrection just by looking at the temple. Yep, you can. And to think that both Gentiles and Jews were involved in his crucifixion. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's, that's right. and that's something to, to take into account. Amen. So here's the interesting part. The next step, if we go to the second step of the process... What is it about? It's about purification. What's the second step of the process that Jesus talks about in Revelation 3, 18 through 21 that I that we talk is the foundation of our of my other podcast? Well, the second step is purification. We have to put on the white garment. Well, guess what? That's where we come up to the basin. And the hands and the feet of the priest are washed so they can enter in behind the first curtain into the holy place. Without doing that, they can't. See, a lot of people think John 13, when Jesus washing the feet of the disciples, they think that's all about an act of service. But it's really not. Yeah. It, it, it can be used as that. I get it. I mean, you know, we all understand that. 
but you're missing the point if you don't understand the temple. What yeah, Jesus was right. doing was he was cleansing his disciples to prepare them to enter into the holy place when they receive the Holy Spirit. Amen. He was making them the priests for him. He would be the chief priest, but they were going to be his other priest, his priest Amen. to continue on to build his temple, to build his kingdom. Mm -hmm. So to not understand that, to miss the temple means you completely do not understand why he washed their feet. Yeah, that was why he washed their feet. That's why we're baptized. When yeah. we're baptized, we're now allowed to enter into that holy place. Amen. And so that's, good. that's, that's such an important aspect of this. Mm -hmm. So the third part of the process is the, is basically the golden lampstand, the seven golden lampstand. Now, there is so much symbolism with this. We could go on for days, but I'm going to give you a couple of pieces of that. But it is the third part, just like it is the third step of the process that we talk about, talking about the eye salve to cleanse your eyes. What does it do? It allows you to see, right? Because right. in there, it's all covered. Without those lampstands being lit, you can't see. Well, here's the thing. Number one, in Jewish tradition, it represents the seven days of creation. Seven eras of creation, whatever, however you want to think of it, that's fine. But it's the seven days as described in Genesis seven, 1 of this, creation. To, to coin a phrase you're using, the seven-step process of creation. It, exactly. Amen. <laughs> so, <laughs> it also can represent the seven spirits of God. It also represents the seven ages of the church. Now, I want you to consider this, folks. Six of those ages are already gone. That means six of those lamps are no longer lit. Only one lamp is lit. So the room's getting darker, isn't it? Exactly. So we need to consider that. So the fourth step or the fourth part of that process is the bread, the showbread. The showbread was there for the priests to eat while they were in there praying and preparing. And that, and who becomes the, first of all, back to the third step, who becomes our light? Jesus, right? Jesus, yeah. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit that resides in us, that cleanses our eyes to let us see. It's his spirit that lives in us. That's the light. Well, guess what? He also becomes the bread of life, the show right. bread. So he's representing that fourth step. Remember that we can, that we can eat while we are here. Exactly. I mean, and he demonstrates that at the Last Supper. See, a lot of people, again, if you're not looking at the understanding of the temple, that's why he had the Last Supper. It wasn't just to share a meal. And meal, and, and the meal definitely is part of such a, a huge part of fellowship, especially in that society. But he uses bread and wine as a representation of his blood. Well, the bread is a representation of that showbread. Yeah, amen. That they can feed on while they're here on earth waiting. Now, the incense, the altar of incense, that is where the prayers are offered to God. And really the represent, and that is for the fifth part of the process. That is, that is them in repentance. That is also Jesus at Gethsemane. That is 
there is so much symbolism in the altar of incense. And you think about that altar. That's where we go before God and offer ourselves by our words to God. And think about it. Are our words a sweet aroma to him? You know, I tell one of the things we talk about in our podcast is worship and what true worship is. Well, worship is what you do with your mind, your body, and your spirit. And or, excuse me, your mind, your body, and your mouth. Well, I tell people when you go into church, when you're singing and, and singing praises with your fellow Christians, that's really an offering to the yeah. Lord. Ask yourself, everything you did that week since the last time you were in there, what kind of an aroma is that giving off to God? Yeah. Think of it as being put yeah. on the holy Amen. fire and burned. Yeah. And what kind of a sweet aroma? Is it foul? Is it a foul stench? Is it sweet? What is that? What kind of an aroma are you giving off to God? And it's all about what you did before you walked in that building. So think, you know, you think through that. So that, again, that represents that altar of incense. Then after that, the chief priest would walk behind the veil. And that would be the most holy place. And you have, of course, the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat. And, you know, if you go to Leviticus 16, that'll give you the Day of Atonement, which, by the way, September 15th starts that process for for the yeah. for the Israel nation, the nation of Israel. Yeah. They start and they have a 10 day process. And I'm terrible at saying this name, but Rosh Hakana. Anyway, and then, of course, 10 days later, you have the Day of Atonement and, and all the stuff. So you you can go and study that. We, we don't have enough time on here to cover it all. However, when they go behind that veil, when that chief priest goes behind that veil, he has to do two things. He has to offer up for his own sin, and then he has to offer up for the sin of the people. Well, Jesus does that for us. Again, he is every step of this process. Think about how Jesus is involved in your prayer. The Holy Spirit, it says in the Word of God, the Holy Spirit will pray to God when you don't even know what to pray. Yeah. That's part of that. Amen. And then you can go in the book of Hebrews, and he and I believe Paul's one that wrote the book of Hebrews, even though the author's not stated. Yeah. He makes a claim about how Jesus is the chief priest. He's greater than any line of Levite priests that has ever been. And he's that perfect chief priest that goes behind and is able to offer the perfect sacrifice. If you read Leviticus 16, it gives you a, a pretty detailed account about how Aaron would go behind and he would have, you know, the goats and the bull, the bull for his sin and all this stuff. You can read about that. But here's the, the, the key of this is that God is so pure that our, I mean, I tell people, and I've told people before, I said, if, why did, why do you, why does your flesh burn? Why does it burn and break down like fire? Why does fire burn your flesh? You know why? Because your, your skin is not pure. Yeah. Amen. It isn't. That's why. That's why it breaks down because your skin's not pure because we're not pure in our outer shell. And it takes Jesus to purify our spirit 
for us to be cleansed before the Lord. Well, it all goes back to this day of atonement. See, the day of atonement, the whole point to the process was to reconnect the people to God and to do that once a year. And that the representation was is they needed a chief priest, a high priest to go in and do this for them. Well, God is just simply setting the precursor that it's going to be his son that takes care of this. Well, this building of the third temple is still going to be, even though they will go back to doing the to, to work to going back to this process, it will still be a representation of Jesus. And it'll be done for Jesus. Eventually it will be done for Jesus. Now we know that in the book of Revelation that the Antichrist is going to claim himself God in the temple and all this stuff. We get that. However, eventually this temple is going to be for Jesus. Well, why is this something that we should be concerned with today? Well, in the day and time in which we live. Because not <laughs> understanding the temple takes away some of the understanding, or takes away from us not totally understanding Jesus. And our job is to evangelize about Jesus. Well, if we know Christ, we need to understand this temple because think about this. Right now, who's the temple? We are. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And this process, that seven-step process I talk about, the same process that's being played out in this temple, the same process that Jesus talked about in the book of Revelation 3, 18 through 21, is being played out inside you constantly. And Jesus wants us to represent that to the world. We are not just called to receive Christ, get our fire insurance, so to speak, and go hide in a cave until it's our time. Whether it's by, if you believe in a rapture or if it's by death or whatever, that's not what we're called to do. Amen. We are Amen. called to serve God and we are to serve him by promoting his son, Jesus Christ, to the world, who was the perfect sacrifice, who was the perfect peace to every aspect of this temple, who fulfills every aspect of this temple. When he said he'd fulfilled, he was fulfilling the law, this is what he was fulfilling right here. And so to not understand the temple means you don't really totally understand Christ. And so why is that relevant today? It's relevant today in evangelism. It's relevant in discipleship. It's going to be relevant in the end times. It's going to be, it is, it was relevant. It's been relevant for the last 2000 years. It was relevant even before Jesus came because it was basically a sign to the Israelites that the Messiah was coming. It was the symbol of the Messiah. That's what they were praying for. Exactly. They were praying for it and it was sitting right in front of them. The, the whole process they would walk through to the Day of Atonement was a representation of that. And they Amen. lost sight of that. Yeah, they did. And that's why Jesus went turning tables in the temple. They had lost sight of the truth. They had abandoned it. But what is something that we should be looking for? You know, perhaps a signpost or a signal that something is about to happen. Well, <clears throat> I think that's a great question. I think the first thing you can watch for is and we're we're seeing this right now i think i think we've got two things that are going to happen 
I think right now we're seeing an abandonment of the faith in droves. Yeah. I think number two, that's one sign, but I think number two, in a lot of periods of history when this has happened, and this isn't the only time in history that this has happened, but when it does happen, usually there is some, there is some, something that rises where we have some great revival. It happened in the 1960s and 70s in the United States called the Jesus Revolution. We've, we saw the Great Awakening. That's what the Great Awakening was. People had, the church was dead. That's what the fifth age of the church was. It was the dead church. There was a reason for that. There was no spiritual movement. And that that one prayer meeting basically not only saved England, but they were taking basically the understanding and the teachings that John Edwards had been preaching, Jonathan Edwards, and they took that and that helped kind of spark and that after that meeting that sparked and they took those words and spread the great awakening yeah that would also lead to the american revolution yep and Amen. so we actually in our in in where i'm from our state frameworks talks about that we talk about the great awakening and how it led to the american revolution so and and of course you and i know i get to teach that <laughs> and so you know i've studied that to the teeth so I get to talk about a lot of fun stuff with that and how that and how that happened with the kids. So Glory to God. anyway, bottom line is, is that this temple is a sign from God of his mercy for us. If God does not give us Moses, the temple, then how in the world is sin reconciled to him? Yeah. I mean, ask yourself that question. I mean, the, 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 Shed blood, death, and resurrection of Jesus is tied in this temple. Without it, it has no meaning. Yeah, I mean, that's true. That's how, true. You know, Paul could teach, he, and, and not just Paul, but the disciples could teach other um, people of the Jewish faith back in those days because they knew what the temple meant. They knew it inside and out. Their whole society... Everything about their society was surrounded by that. Everything was built towards it. Everything was angled towards it. Every aspect of their life was. So they could teach how Jesus became that for them and how the temple and his death, shed blood, death, and resurrection were all tied to that temple. I mean, think about it. What is his resurrection? It's the Shekinah presence of God coming down and showing on sitting on the mercy seat that light after they've after everything's been fulfilled on the day of atonement that God is back with the people. Amen. Well, that's what the resurrection of Jesus is, and then him ascending and sending the Holy Spirit. Yep. That's Amen. think of the Amen. Ark of the Covenant and that mercy seat being the Shekinah presence of Jesus' resurrection and then him ascending to heaven and sending the Holy Spirit back. The Holy Spirit is sitting on that mercy seat in your heart right now. You have the, an Ark of the Covenant inside your heart. Amen. Amen. And that Amen. mercy seat sits there with the Holy Spirit sitting on it. So ask yourself this question. Is the Holy Spirit in control of your life? Are you being spirit-led? Because if the Holy Spirit, he is wanting to sit on that mercy seat, that throne. If he is not then what is? Yeah, something is. And think about it. You are a temple 
if the Holy Spirit is not sitting on that mercy seat, something else is. I want you to go and read the first and second commandment. And then read the 10th commandment. You know, we can break down the 10 commandments. There's really, you really, there's three and there's seven. The three commandments that you need to pay that, that are the culminating ones are the first, second, and the 10th. The three through nine are the details. And we'll talk about that Have next it. time. Amen. Yeah, exactly. And we can talk about that next time. Amen. But that but that Ark of the Covenant sits in your heart. See, God wrote the Ten Commandments as a way to not only connect with him, but how you could fight Satan. And defeat. That's really what they are. The yeah. book of Deuteronomy is the greatest spiritual warfare book there is. People look at Deuteronomy as just a book of law. I've even had pastors tell me that, well, it's just the law. I'm like, no, it's actually, if you go and look at Jesus in the wilderness, when he is fighting the temptations from Satan, he quotes from the book of, book of Deuteronomy. All of it is quoted from the book of Deuteronomy. Obviously, Satan cannot stand against the word in Deuteronomy. Amen. If you go back and look at the original Hebrew Bible, the first five books of the Bible, see, they they look at the Bible very differently. The first five books are the most sacred writings. And they call it the Torah. The Nevim is the second subgroup, which they consider the second highest. And that's basically the prophets. And then Ketavim are the writings, and that's the third level of books. And they rank order those. But those first five books of the Bible, everything else is centered around it. Even our New Testament is centered around the first five books of the Bible. Man. Yep. They are. The book of Revelation is an end reflection of those first five books. Without these first five books, what's the point of Jesus? There isn't. Well, that's why he said, you know, they said that, you know, he found himself. Exactly. In the writings. Amen. Amen. That's right. Amen. I mean, he is totally implanted this. So, again, studying this temple makes us step back and look at that ancient Hebrew culture and the law given to Moses on that mountain and how important that is to us right here, right Amen. now. Your salvation Amen. is tied up in that, completely entangled, okay. because Jesus comes from that law. I mean, and, and the truth is, how in the world can the blood of animals cleanse my sin? It doesn't. It's just a representation of when Jesus would come and actually cleanse my sin. Their real faith was in Jesus being that sacrifice for them, even then. Yeah, God, all this sounds... This is so interesting to me. If someone wanted to reach out to you for more information, maybe ask a question, how can they do that? How can someone get in touch with you? They can email me at gccgodcenteredconcept2038 at gmail.com. Amen. We talked about 2038 before, which is literally a right, right around the corner when it comes to biblical time. Amen. Absolutely. Amen. I'll put the links to all this down in the show notes below. Folks, these days we are living in, and the things Scott Wright have been sharing with us are so important for you to know and to understand. I urge you, 
go down below, click the link, get in touch with Scott, ask for more information so you can study this out for yourself. It's only going to take you a second to drop down the show notes and get in touch with him. I mean, be, and be sure to order a copy of his great book, God Center Concept Journal, Making God's Word My Ways, while you're there. Amen. Scott, I appreciate you taking time to come back on. I can't wait for the next one because I love studying the book of Deuteronomy. I, I did my preaching this just this past Sunday, yesterday, the time of this recording, on Deuteronomy. <laughs> uh, you can't get away from the book of Deuteronomy if you're studying about Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Folks, that's all the time we have for today. For Scott Wright, myself, this past about Ryan. Be blessed in all that you do. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast so you can be notified when another episode is published. With over 800 interviews and 1,000 published episodes, Pastor Bob is known as a podcasting expert for helping others to create their own podcast to share their messages with the world. Please visit our website at www.podcastersforchrist.com. That web address again is www.podcastersforchrist.com for more information. Until next time, be blessed in all that you do.